0: You start with an empty space, everything gets unpacked, and suddenly you have this working clinic it feels like you're really a part of something that's making a difference in the community.
1: You're listening to the Believe in Dog podcast, I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times, or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 34 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. I wish you a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays, however and whatever you choose to celebrate. I just hope you're doing it with your dog by your side. A reminder, if you need any last-minute gift ideas, I'll have a link in the show notes to my gift guide, the top 10 best books for dog lovers of all ages. This episode is super-duper special to me, and I'm really excited to be able to bring these conversations to you with some of my favorite people in the whole world, some of the people that I have gotten to work side-by-side with over the last 10 years while we've built the Be More Dog Wellness Clinics. Be More, as in Baltimore. Be More Dog is the organization that I have volunteered with since 2008. And it was in September of 2011 that we first piloted our Community Pitbull Day event, which has now morphed into the Be More Dog Wellness Clinics. So this fall, we've been celebrating 10 years of doing our clinic work in the community. And we have helped over 3,300 dogs over the last 10 years. I've talked some on the podcast before, and if you're interested, you can go back and listen to episode one, where I share more of my story about how transformative this work has been on me as a person and how it helped me confront judgments and stereotypes and evolve as a person and and just be a better person with a bigger heart that was more compassionate and understanding. And a lot of us come from an animal welfare background, shelter rescue world, where Compassion towards animals is all over the place. Compassion towards people, eh, maybe not quite as much. And while I know that this has been my experience, I was really excited to be able to share with you the experience of some of the other volunteers, so you don't just have to take my word for it. I was really interested in in what sparked everyone's interest in doing this kind of work in the community, and about. The experiences that they have, have they learned things? Have there been people and animals stories that stick with them that they'll never forget? And what keeps them coming back, even when it's hard and even when it's a lot of work? And so in part one today, we're gonna hear from Pauline, the president of Be More Dog, who is largely instrumental in this whole clinic thing, getting off the ground and up and running in the first place and keeping us going for the last 10 years. And then we're gonna hear from Diana, who was also one of the core group of volunteers who helped get the clinics running 10 years ago. And then we're gonna hear from Hillary who volunteered at the first clinic and Dawn who actually attended the first clinic with her dog and got free services and she was so excited about it she decided to start volunteering with Beamer Dog herself. And we're gonna hear from Ashley who's been taking the family photos at our clinics for the last probably eight of 10 years. And then we're going to hear from Jennifer Gans, who's had a lot of different volunteer experiences at the clinics, and she's going to share her perspective, too. At Be More Dog, we are all volunteers. We all have jobs and families and a lot going on outside of the work that we do in the community. If you're in the Baltimore area and would like more information about volunteering with Be More Dog, you can go to www.bemoredog.org and click on Get Involved and then Take Action. And there you'll find the link to our volunteer form to be notified of upcoming opportunities. And I'll have a direct link for you in the show notes as well. And if you're anywhere in the world and would like to support the work of Be More Dog, we're always accepting donations at www.beMoreDog.org. And on the upper right-hand corner is a shortcut to donate now. As a 501c3 nonprofit organization, your donations are tax-deductible as allowed by law. So first we're going to start with Pauline Holiaris who is the president of Beamer Dog and she's a lot of other things too. She runs Doghouse Girls which is a pet sitting and dog training business in Baltimore, Maryland. She's a dog trainer herself and she's been a really key figure in Baltimore's animal welfare community over the last 10 years. Pauline and I talk about the history of Beamer Dog, what the original goals were for the organization and how those have changed over time and some of the struggles we faced both as an organization and in getting the clinics up and running. We talk about the original inspiration for doing this community-based clinic work. And I was curious to know what Pauline was most proud of from doing this work over the last 10 years. I'm so excited for you to hear from Pauline Huliaras. So I am here with Pauline, the president of Be More Dog. Hi, Pauline. Hi, Erin. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited for everybody to hear from you. Thanks for having us. So 10 years, we have been doing the clinics, 10 years, 3,300 dogs. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, who knew? We started out so small. I think we had like, yeah, like 25 dogs at the very first clinic. Yeah, that, was it that many even? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was around 20, it was like 20 to yeah. 25. Yeah. So I was going back and trying to think what, and I was curious what your recollection is about what sort of motivated us to go in this direction and, and what our original sort of goal and vision was. And what do you remember about that? Gosh. Uh, I mean, it goes back to what, like 2007
2: really when we started the organization. And then it was really just all about us trying to, there was a, you know, a dog bite case that brought everybody together. This was before social media as we know it. So it was basically, email and Yahoo groups. And we wanted to get together to kind of be proactive. And it was just a mass call to people. And then we started meeting at my house and we developed an organization and tried to figure out what we could do to be proactive um, as far as pit bulls and, and a more positive image. And then it led us to, well, we had some some activity at the beginning, but then we sort of stalled, I think, for a little while there. And it must have been, was it around 2009? Maybe we had gone to an HSUS conference right in DC.
3: Yeah, in DC.
2: And we saw what some other people were doing across the country. And we thought, wait a minute, we should be doing that. And at the time, There was the pit bull training team and the community pit bull day is what it was known as that HSUS started. And we thought, why aren't we doing that? So we just got some information and then brought it back to other members of the organization. But I think everybody was kind of scared about the whole thing. Um, And I mean, I remember we were doing, it took forever to get buy-in to even just do pit bulls on parade which I'd had this weird vision of. I just had this vision of a, a group of us walking around the harbor with our dogs. And there was a lot of fear, I think, from people about what that would be like if we did it. And we just decided, you know, a small group of us decided to just kind of push through that and make it happen. And then, and then I think we stalled again because we were doing that for a little while. And then we stalled again, like, well, what is this organization going to do? And then we settled on, we should try this. Uh, community Pitbull day concept and you and I gather a lot of information from going to these conferences and meetings and
1: yeah I can remember um a couple nights where we would I would go over your house and we would be like calling like somebody in Pittsburgh or Milwaukee or California and saying like what are you doing how are you doing this and-
2: yeah <laughs> trying to figure out how people like had the time and the resources and the just the logistics of how to make it happen. Oh, I forgot about a lot of that stuff. That's just now we can kind of do it in our sleep. I mean, it's still a lot of work, but <laughs> we, we know what to do. Yeah. And I remember I went to Chicago and I looked at, I went to a, a pit bull training team class because I just wanted to see what that looked like. Cause I wasn't really teaching classes at the time, you know, even though I'm a dog trainer, I wasn't teaching classes at the time. So I wanted to see what that was like inviting people to come in to work with their dogs so many things. And then we just decided, I mean, I remember we had a meeting, we were having our board meetings and I remember presenting to the group, like all the research we had done and said, let's do this. And a few people dropped out because they were nervous about like what that, what that meant, um, which is weird to think about now, (laughs) like why someone would drop out about doing this good work that we're doing, but some people got really nervous about it and we decided, okay, this is we're going to move forward with this and try to figure out how to make it happen. And then we would already had the relationship at um, the St. Francis Neighborhood Center. And that became we had already done one event there.
1: And then that became our place to try it out. Yeah. I wrote in my notes to myself that there was a core group of us that held the vision yes. <laughs> and that not everybody saw the vision. <laughs> right. and, um, and yeah, I mean, there was challenges with our fellow volunteers being on board, but I like to think that while we did unfortunately lose some people, like we have gained so many people who are on the same page. Uh, in the meantime, and then you know there was challenges with finding a place to do it and with finding a veterinarian to do it and some of the other you know animal welfare type organizations in town. I don't know. I think they thought we were kind of crazy and and uh, you know I just remember it f- feeling like nobody was really going to help us if we were going to do it. Like we were going to have to do this and and really bootstrap grassroots it
2: (laughs) exactly yeah right and we had yeah we had so many challenges with finding veterinary help at the beginning and wow yeah (laughs) it's all coming back to me now all of the (laughs) all of the calls and emails that I made to all of the veterinary clinics trying to find people to help and then using any kind of personal contacts we had uh, to ask them
1: to help Um, and and, with it being Baltimore you know you were so connected in that like you know, this was you largely doing a lot of this work.
2: Yeah. And we started out with Dr. Johnny who helped us for quite a while at the beginning. And I honestly, I'd have to really think hard about how I even met him. Um, I think I met him at an event and then I, he was, I, I, I think I had worked with him with Ruby and then I, and then I told him the idea and he said, sure, you know, I can do that. And, but then he couldn't do every single one. And, you know, we had to find other people to know in order to keep it going. And then we hit on a really good match with Dr. Michelle Myers. So
1: yes. My hero. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And and I think bringing her um, really helped us be able to start evolving because I think the way I remember is, you know, in, in those early days, it was like, we just did a vaccine and, and then we kind of started seeing, Oh, there's, dogs that need help beyond a vaccine and they're not able to get to a vet for, you know, whether it's a financial issue or there's a transportation issue and, and we need, you know, we wanted to do so much more, but you know, we were, were limited in what we could provide. And, and she, um, bringing her on board with her whole system. I, 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 I've had the chance to talk to her and I had asked her, you know, it's a year round, uh, system that she has for, you know, collecting things and, and, and cataloging things for, for our clinics. And I feel like that really helped us expand and, and meet a need that we had been seeing all along and wanting to do something about. <laughs> right. Right. And I remember,
2: um, specifically when we were at Herring Run Park, when I had the revelation or whatever the light bulb went off on my head about the people that we were helping and how some of the things that were hard, it was hard for us to get volunteers first from the organization, like first through Be More Dog and the the board members, because they had some people that dropped out had had issues about, well, they couldn't deal with dogs not being spayed neutered. They couldn't deal with dogs being tethered. There were just so many things that they had concerns with that they thought they couldn't, um, you know, physically help with. And we would realize that when we brought volunteers in, it had to be somebody who was very open-minded and could meet people with where they were and realize everybody's there because they care about their dog and they're there because they want to get help for their dog. And I remember talking to, um, this man at Herring Run Park and asking him, we did like a mini interview, but I remember, I don't remember his name. I just remember he had this, um, this white, this beautiful white pit bull. And I remember him saying that he had two dogs and he had to make a decision because it cost, you know, a hundred some dollars to take the one dog to the vet just for its basic, um, like annual package. Um, which is probably actually pretty cheap now when you think about it. But at the time, he said he could only afford to take one dog. And so he had chosen the other dog to go to the vet, and this one hadn't gone to the vet. And so this was like such a big deal to him to be able to bring his, this other dog to get the care because he couldn't do both. And then we were also talking about how his yard was not fully secure. And he, when the dogs were outside, he did have to tether them. And they were very friendly. It was a very friendly, nice dog. And I thought to myself at that moment, you know, you're doing the best that you can. And this dog, obviously, you care about him. He cares about you. And I don't have a problem with you tethering your dog when it's in the yard because you're trying to be a responsible citizen and not let and not, and your dog won't jump the fence. You're just trying to be as responsible as possible when you have your dog outside. And this dog didn't live outside, but when he was out there, this is what he chose to do. And I know that was difficult for some people to comprehend. But now being on the dangerous dog hearing board and all the things that I hear over the years, um, I appreciate that even more. But at that point, I just kind of let go of the concept of, you know, this makes you uh, not a good dog owner.
1: Yeah, I think so many of us uh, had come... From the you know, rescue background and shelter background, and we're seeing sort of like the the negative repercussions and and it creates a lot of uh, judgments and stereotypes and uh, of what you know these quote unquote irresponsible people are doing, and now it's causing this problem that the rescues and the shelters have have to deal with and and there's like a lot of like ideals that people had, like you said, like about like the dogs have to be spayed and neutered or else you're not a good dog owner. The dog has to be, you know, yada, 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 this whole list of, of things. And, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so that I think there were some people, some of us who understood, you know, maybe had more varied life experiences or whatnot, but that, you know, everybody's doing the best that they can. And, and yes, this very, we must have volunteers who have this non-judgmental approach and it even helped us, Uh, get over maybe some of our own, you know, issues, like you said, of, of what is responsible or irresponsible or good or bad or or what have you, and and just sort of adopt and accept that like everybody's doing the best they can and people love their dogs, you know, no matter what zip code or wherever they live. Sure. And I think also we were thinking
2: initially when we started, we wanted to, it was more like we were imposing our education on putting in quotes on people telling them what they needed to do to be better. Um, And once we kind of let go of that and just said, we're just here to provide resources. You're, you know, you're happy to, you know, we're happy to have you take what you can from here and get as much information as possible, but we're not really here to preach. But I know we started out thinking that if we educated people, there would be less, you know, terrible dog attacks on the news. Um, And I think we got a big sort of education ourselves when we went through the court ruling later in 2012. Um, And that was a whole nother wave that we went through um, of having to learn about legislation and all of the things that I never, ever wanted to do. (laughs) Do I want to do that?
1: Social studies (laughs) class stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) The living, the two and a half years of um, how to get legislation passed. Um, Yeah. So I don't want to do that again.
1: Yeah. None of (laughs) us do. I think we all have PTSD. Yeah,
2: yeah, that was a that was a long period of time. Um, And it was only two years,
1: but um, that seemed like much longer than two years. And yes, I can't believe it was almost ten years ago. Next year
2: will be ten years. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Um,
2: I think that we learned a lot through that too, as an organization. Um, That was also like another moment where we had to pivot, and you know we lost people and gained people during that time. It was just, um, it was a hard time, I guess. Yeah. I don't know.
1: <laughs> because we were doing all that in addition to keeping the clinics going in addition to everything, you know, our jobs and our daily lives and, you know, and having to drive to Annapolis and, you know. to right. Annapolis being
2: available for, you know, being interviewed by the media, which I never wanted to do going on the, like all those things that I never, ever had any, I barely want to do this interview, nothing personal, but you know what I mean? Like, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> uh, I understand. <laughs> and here I am like, okay, now you have to be on TV. Now you have to be interviewed for this. Now you have to do that. And the only, I think the main thing that got me through that was, okay, that's fine. I've been asked to do this, but my dog is coming with me. <laughs> so having Ruby do that really made a, a difference knowing what the, the focus, you know, having the focus on that, which was our entire point at the beginning is to, to show people what a, a regular pit bull dog owner looks like um, as opposed to what people have an image of. And I think a lot has changed um, over time. Yeah, I think a lot has definitely changed in that time. So that was good. And we changed, we don't obviously call it community pit bull day anymore. We, through the course of what we learned through going through that legislative process, We changed the name to the Be More Dog Wellness Clinic, and we spent a lot of time thinking about what we were going to do with that and how, like you were saying before, we evolved from just being more like a vaccine clinic um, and getting some resources to it being really more about wellness for the dog and providing that information or that vet visit with owners. So it's amazing that we went from that small clinic that we started in Reservoir Hill um where we had like you said what 20 some dogs come through to having three veterinarians at the last one yeah where we served i don't know over 100 dogs um yeah i think it
1: was about 130
2: yeah in just um 3 hours where they actually got a, a vet exam and micro you know microchips we weren't sure how we were going to be able to you know a lot of partnerships came along the way so that we could do some of the things that we do and spay is part of it and everything that that happens now but yeah that's that's a long way
1: yeah it's been really exciting to have these different partnerships including with maryland spca who's one of the biggest you know animal welfare organizations in the state and I guess to me, it's been very validating that, you know, we were right all along <laughs> that this was sort yeah. of the future of, of that way that animal welfare needs to go. And that if we really want to keep animals out of the shelter, then we need to keep them in their homes. And and this is one way to do that. And, and that's been very validating for me personally to see.
2: <laughs> yes, that's true. Just the owner support. Um, is, is really important if they want to reduce the number in the shelter. Yeah, for sure. And having the shelters realize that and help the owners too, and not be as judgmental and that sort of thing. Yeah.
1: Yes. And it's like this big movement, like all across the country now that so many, you know, areas are are doing this more,
3: this type of work.
1: Is there one thing in particular that you think you're most proud of? Oh gosh. (laughs) Just, it's a lot of work. Um, I think the
2: court, just every time those memories come up in Facebook for all the things that we did for the court ruling, um that was a huge accomplishment. I mean, it was many of us. I can't even remember everybody who was involved anymore.
1: Yes, there was a coalition <laughs> It was a
2: coalition of people, and it was just a lot of like you have to stop what you're doing right now and talk to people um and the strategizing I mean the politics of all of that was something else uh, so that was a big part of be more dog anyway and then in terms of the clinics I think it's the partnerships because we started out being, you know, trying to talk to people and asking for assistance and nobody wanted to talk to us or or they did and then they would just fall to the side because they wouldn't get it or whatever the case might be. They just didn't understand it or they wanted to do their own thing or whatever it was and just now that we've gotten to the point where we have these partnerships that's I think really been uh I'm, I'm really proud that we've gotten to that point now.
1: I just always hope that, you know, obviously it takes a lot of people to put this together, but I don't like, it's fair for me to say that I can look back and see, like, if it wasn't for you kind of beating the drum on all of this, we wouldn't be where we are today. And I always hope that, you know, that I know, and that so many of us are aware of that, that these 3,300 dogs that have been helped, like you're the biggest part of, of getting all of it, even off the ground. <laughs> Well,
2: thank you. I, I don't necessarily feel that way about it, but thank you. I can't do it myself. Obviously, I do have to, I do feel like I did have the vision. And as long as I can bring people on board and, I mean, and you're like the data person, so we can't do everything without you pulling all the data together either. So, <laughs> I mean, the the good, I think the good thing about where we are in terms of the organization is everybody has a very clear role and we could, you know, probably use more help, but we just stayed kind of steady with, let's just keep this going um, as difficult and challenging as it was even during the pandemic and a little bit before that, because everybody is just so busy and, you know, we're all volunteers and it's just hard to get everything done, but I think we've been able to stay pretty steady with our vision to kind of keep things going and we we made it through to this point. So that's pretty amazing. A lot of
1: organizations would have folded by now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah yeah I mean to have kept it going for ten years as volunteers, you know I mean, you run your own business, you know we all have lives going on, jobs you know outside of illnesses uh you know other <laughs> things that have have happened and uh you know i th- I think it's pretty amazing and and we didn't get arrested either
0: <laughs> oh, possibility. Yes, <laughs> yes that i
1: actually, I had that on my list, and I almost forgot yes, we actually did have times where people didn't want us in their neighborhood. Yep. Yep. Did
2: not get arrested. That was good.
1: (laughs) It's been, you know, it's, it's been a ride. And, um, you know, I, I love the work that we do. I love being able to help people. It's been really life changing for me to have all of these experiences. and, And I'm so grateful to know you and, you know, to have been able to do this, be by your side while, while all this is going on. And I'm, it's very uh, meaningful to, to me in my, like it really changed the course of, of my life in a lot of ways. And, and I well, hope that you know that.
2: <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. And I'm just happy that we can pull enough people together to do all these wonderful things that we do. Like, I just, I mean, really like we can't do it without everybody. And I'm grateful for all the people that kind of come along and then join us and then, oh, we can do this now because we have them.
1: Yes, it's such a huge group effort, and we're so fortunate with all the people who come and partner with us and donate their time and their resources and their abilities. Is there anything else I'm forgetting?
2: Well, I do love when people say how organized we are.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's always nice to hear. Pauline, thank you so much for your time and for this trip down memory lane. Well, thank you. Thank you to Pauline. I'm so grateful to her for sharing her time and her memories with us. And I hope to have her on the podcast again to share more of her personal story and of the dogs who really made a difference in her life, too. She really took me on a trip down memory lane there as I was thinking about all of the research and effort that we put into getting the clinics up and running. We didn't know what kind of supplies we would need. We didn't know how many volunteers we would need. We didn't know what the volunteer roles would be. And we were concerned about safety and with bringing so many dogs and people together into parks. And there were only a handful of organizations around the country at that time who were doing anything remotely like what we were doing by going into the community and, and bringing the services there. And so we would spend our evenings calling people in Pittsburgh and Michelle Siraki in Milwaukee, who you can hear on episode three of the podcast. And we were calling people out in California who were doing this kind of work and, and asking them all of these kinds of questions. And we had to fundraise and make sure we had money to pay for all of these supplies and find a veterinarian and find a place that would let us do this. And we're always so grateful to the St. Francis Neighborhood Center in the Reservoir Hill neighborhood of Baltimore for letting us have our first ever community pit bull day there. And in the background of trying to get this program up and running, the state of Maryland dealt us a shocking surprise, which Pauline and I had talked about a little bit. Maryland's highest court, the Court of Appeals, had made a ruling that affected dogs considered pit bulls In rental properties across the state, and suddenly you had landlords all across the state of Maryland who were concerned about whether their tenant's dog could be considered a pit bull or not, and it created a lot of panic. And we had a lot of people contacting us because their landlord was telling them they had to move, and it was just really a mess. And we didn't know what to do about it. And suddenly we find ourselves involved in the legislative process and lobbying and meeting with legislators and. Pauline largely became the face of a lot of that, like she talked about, and she would bring her dog Ruby so that people could understand what a pit bull dog really was. And that court ruling happened in April of 2012, but it took until April of 2014 for Maryland's legislature to pass a law to fix all of this. So that was a really long, long two-year time. But it was going through a lot of that process and learning a lot about our language and messaging that we really decided that we wanted to take the focus off of being Community Pitbull Day and make it the Be More Dog Wellness Clinics and be welcoming for dogs of all shapes and sizes. So next we're going to hear from Diana Madison. Di was one of the original core group of volunteers from the early days who understood the vision and was on board with making these clinics happen no matter what. And Diana and I are going to reflect on some of the struggles that we had in those early days, some of the people who always have stuck with us, and what we've learned along the way. So let's get started with Diana Madison. So hello Diana. Hi there. Thank you so much for being here. I'm very excited to have you because you are one of the people that was was around in the very beginning of the Beamer Dog Clinics when we first started calling it Community Pitbull Day. Yes. Talk to me about what you remember and what your experience uh, was uh, was starting the clinics, which was over ten years ago now.
4: I know, gosh, you know, your memories get blurred after a while, especially mine. But I do know, do kind of remember that. I think I don't want to say the odds were stacked against us, but I don't think a lot of people were in full support of, of maybe doing, taking on, uh, something like this, um, cause it had never been done before. And I think we had a few, a few folks that, um, thought it wouldn't work or didn't know how it would work and, and to make it successful. So we made, a, we might've had a little bit of the back in the beginning of, of folks that, were with us. Um, but I, I think everybody saw a need to help dogs and we all thought this would be a great way to do this and to help when you help dogs, you help people. And, um, I think that was our main goal at that point was to actually start getting out there and making a difference and trying to, to reach people that wanted to help their dogs, but just didn't know how even, or, you know the the avenue wasn't there for everybody. So we started community pit bull days and wow, it's grown from I don't know how many did we have
1: at our first one to how many you guys it was like, like 25 H- dogs at yeah. the very first clinic. Um over the 10 years we have now helped more than thirty three hundred dogs. That's that's just insane. And uh
4: and I can remember my big thing back then was spay and neuter as well. So I was actually going back through believe it or not I still have my email folders of Be More Dog. It's kind of crazy. No wonder I have like 30,000 emails in my uh, Yahoo account but just, you know, looking at the whole spay neuter program we had in place in the many many volunteers it took just not that just not our normal be more dog volunteers but even people from my my work because we would actually even provide transportation if you remember you know folks that couldn't drive with their dogs or couldn't get their dogs into a taxi we would have volunteers drive the dogs to one of the three places that were working with us and wait for the surgery and then drive them home even and it was uh it was quite an undertaking. Uh, I think it was called Fix My Pit or something like that. Yes. Yes. So um so those are kind of my you know that that took a lot of organization on all of our parts and uh I was looking back and we did quite a few surgeries too. It was pretty 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 amazing actually how everyone came together and did that. Right
1: because you know and you brought up a really good point that you know we're all volunteers. All of us always had full-time jobs and families and other commitments, and we were doing this just out of the sheer passion and and seeing the need in the community for it and, and creating these spreadsheets and uh, uh, yeah. following up and driving to places that we weren't familiar with to pick right. people up that we didn't know to no. take their books. Yeah. And, you
4: know, it's, I was actually going through some other stuff too. And I had thank you cards that folks would send me and pictures of their, their pities, and tell, you know, thanking us. And this is the dog that you helped get spayed or neutered. And, you know, we made some, some acquaintances along the way too. I mean, just like Thomas and Suge they, they stood out cause they were at our very first clinic. And I can remember seeing him, I think it was either the following year or the year afterwards at one of the different locations. And I turned around and there Thomas was smiling away and Shug had gained weight and she looked awesome. And it was like, it was so cool. It was, I don't know. I, it's hard to explain, but you just get these kind of feel good feelings like, Hey, you know, their Shug. And uh, she was still around and their relationship had grown and she was a good dog and everything. And so, and then I was looking at another email from a, a woman and her dog Hazel. And that's the one that, that had, that had stood out for a while. And, you know, she, the owner was struggling a little and we had helped her out in several different ways. And Hazel had come back to the clinic the year afterwards as well. So we did have people that kind of came back and, I don't know, this is going to sound corny, but kind of stayed in our lives for a little while. Like we got to know them and form a, even if it was a brief relationship, we still formed this kind of relationship with people that had we hadn't done this, we never would have known them or their dogs and seen that they really you know, that bond reaches everybody, then everybody loves their dogs.
1: I think what we really learned in those early days was that we would get people like uh, Hazel the dog that, that we knew they needed more support than what we were able to provide at the clinic. And, and we would try to kind of bootstrap these ways we were delivering dog food to them yes. and, and <laughs> things like that. And uh, and we, and we didn't have a formal system set up yet. These were just kind of things that like on a, on a kind of a case by case basis were like, okay, we really got to figure out a way to help these people. And, you know, so I'd be sending my husband, you know, to work with an extra bag of dog food in his car so he could deliver it on his way, you know, and, and things like that. Um, and it's been really exciting to, be able to partner now with these other organizations that have more formal program in place to deliver these more wraparound services. And, you know, you brought up such a good point that, you know, in the beginning there was just kind of this core group of us who really held the vision of what this was going to look like. And then we, we made it happen. Like we created it out of nothing. We just saw like an initial need of, of, even if it's a basic thing, like, uh, you know providing a rabies vaccine in case somebody runs into a situation with animal control and we have proof of vaccine and we can provide that if we need to. We of course give the owners proof, but sometimes you know they're not able to keep track of it. but we always have a backup copy. so you know th- that's one of the things I do. You know sometimes I'm at work and I get an email <laughs> that says, oh, you know my dog got picked up you know by animal control. it got out of my yard. Are you able to send this proof of vaccine? And, and I can do that you know super quickly and and assist in, in that way. and it gave us an opportunity to learn about what the needs of the community were. and then you know we've been able to do our best to respond and and address those needs uh, over the years as as we've been able to. Oh
4: yeah, I mean, we we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants. like each each new, challenge, I guess, presented a new opportunity as well, because we kind of learned like, oh, well that, that was the way to do it. Or no, that wasn't the way, like, I can remember the one dog, one of his dogs had lepto. And I don't know if you remember, like we could tell because his eyes were yellow. Yeah. He was so jaundiced. Jaundiced. Yeah. We actually, in that night, we actually contacted, made contact with an emergency vet and we were able to help him get the services that he needed to get that dog. Cause that dog was very sick, very, very um, sick. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, that was one time I can remember and each, each time made things better, I guess is what I want to say.
1: I remember yeah. one of the lessons we learned very early on was about the magic of carbonless copies.
4: Oh God. Yes. Yes all those carbonless coffees. Oh, and I didn't realize the extent of the paperwork that we were going to have to go through as well. You were great about keeping the paperwork up to date. Like you said, if somebody needed a rabies number or a tag or something, we always knew to come to you um, because you kept track of everything with your organization skills, which I had none at that point. <laughs> Although and there was two of us doing this, that Mindy was doing the uh spay and neuter with me and we had created an Excel spreadsheet that we were able to kind of go back and forth with. So we worked out well together there. So, I mean, we all, we, we, we took what we had, even though it wasn't fancy and made it work. It was pretty, pretty neat to be a part of it and to watch it grow and to now since i'm i haven't been a part of it for a while but to watch you guys grow and to see the network of people that you've pulled in is is outstanding and you guys have been able to do help a lot more people than we were in the beginning and i mean getting funding was hard and i think we had to have several fundraisers to try to get extra money. I know we asked for grants. There was a lot of things that we had to be creative to come up with with money to get the vaccines. And then bringing in vets to help was, was vital as well. And I know Dr. Myers came in and she brought... She- she had her own bag of goodies that she donated, to, I think, at every clinic and stuff. So, again, people put their heart and soul into this and, and basically contributed what they
1: had. And whatever they had was was great. I mean, it would just it made everything work. And there's so much work that's always going on behind the scenes. And, and Dr. Myers even shared how she's collecting, you know, medications and things year round. And she has uh, bins that she organizes everything. So she has like an ear bin and an eye bin and uh, everything, you know, gets divided up. And uh, there's so much work that, that does go on behind the scenes to try to pull this together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she has she has like a little secret stash, her goodie bag that
4: she would come in the beginning, um, which it's I'm grown. Sure has it's like multiple this, bins now. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. It's probably much bigger than when when we first started out. So I can't imagine and even just the vet techs and stuff that you guys need to have to hold the dogs and I mean, all the different stations and managing that number of of dogs all in one place is crazy. Um, <laughs> very crazy. So, I mean, we've had different stations over the years as well. And I, I know you guys have actually even had more because, like, you added microchipping and the food giveaway. And we had a kids' corners, you know, for the kids to play at. Oh, swapping out the leashes which has always been a good thing because sometimes people would show up with like cable using, um, for a leash or just even a chain, like a chain you'd buy at home Depot, not, not with a, a a handle on it or anything. So we would get their dogs properly fitted in a harness or a collar and provide a leash and, You know, getting, getting to the folks that came to use the services too, I can't tell you how, I mean, I don't think I ever met anyone there that just wasn't always thanking us profusely and so glad that we were coming into the community. And, and that, that,
1: that in itself was, was a great feeling. Was there anything that you learned from doing the clinics that surprised you? You think people acquire dogs either through a a
4: group rescue, you know, or a shelter like barks, or buying them from a breeder. And there were a lot of 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 folks that just said, Yeah, this dog came from the street, or my neighbor didn't want this dog, so we took him in, or my aunt could no longer care for this puppy, so we have him and there was a lot of folks that that's how they acquired their animal which we don't normally see that I mean you think people like I said get it get that get their dogs not from known people so yeah that was a that was an interesting revelation so yep
1: yeah, that was a that was interesting for sure yeah I know I know we've heard so many different stories and I guess it's definitely a reflection of of the challenges of of Baltimore City sometimes when when we hear these stories of how somebody found their dog, but there were there were a lot of folks that
4: take the dogs in too off of the streets. Good people out there exist everywhere taking care of taking care of animals
1: right, and I just always think you know these are people doing it without the benefit of a 501c3 nonprofit organization, they're they're not doing it with fundraising. They're not, um, you know, they don't have like a GoFundMe or or anything. And, And they're often living in very limited means, but they're willing to share what they do have with an animal that's in need. Correct. Yeah. I can remember the one guy we were in
4: Elwood and it was so cold that year and he had his jacket off. I have a picture of him somewhere and he had the jacket wrapped around this pity um, waiting in line because the pity was shaken and it was so cold and folks, folks love their
1: dogs and it definitely showed. Do you have anything else you want to share about your experience with the clinics? I know you moved away and we miss you very much. There was
4: one time it was, very scary for me. Cause I was always a little nervous about dogs getting too close because you know, I am a dog trainer. So I'm always worried about dogs meeting and greeting and everything. And I'm like, don't let them greet. And I can remember the rule of thumb is, is that you never ever put your face near a new dog's face. And what did I do? I had my face and everything down on the ground, trying to fix this harness. And I look over to my right and there's these two big old rotties coming towards us with dragging their owner. And I'm in between these two big rotties in this 80, 70 to 80 pound pity mix. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> and luckily I didn't die cause I'm here, but, um, it was still a very scary situation. And I stood up quickly and, you know, so you always tell people don't do that. And then, then what do you do? You do it yourself. So that was one of the ones that sticks out to me too, is like, that's the day I didn't die between three 80 pound dogs.
1: (laughs) So you bring up a good point, which is that we always stress to our volunteers, which is about safety around the animals, because we're putting the dogs in a situation that they're not used to being in and it's stressful. And there's a lot of other dogs around that are barking and a lot of other people. And it's an unnatural situation for any dog. I yes. don't know that my dogs would be great in that kind of situation. Right. So we're always very conscious that we don't want to set anybody up for something bad to happen, a, a bite or, or anything like that. And we do give a big safety talk beforehand to all of our volunteers uh and the the SPCA staff that you know to always be cognizant of things like what you're talking about. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Yes. Cause yeah, it was a really dumb thing that I had done. Um, and we did really stress and I'm sure you guys still do the safety of keeping the dogs apart. And,
1: and that's what you did as part of the hospitality team was kind of assist with, Keeping people apart, yeah. or, you know, keeping appropriate social distancing. Before we social had di- a time for social distancing, <laughs> <laughs> we did. We actually did that before we 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 had
4: to do it. Um, yeah, so the hospitality team did do that and just walk around and make sure that folks were in line and giving space and that everybody felt comfortable. And you know, we kept extra leashes on us because we did once or twice
1: have loose dogs. I think Um, it happens like once at every clinic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it does. We've never had it. I mean, it's always resolved very quickly and without drama. Right. But yeah, that's totally something that happens. Thank you for reminding me of the origin of all of our safety protocols. And Dai, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much to Diana. And if you'd like to hear more of Di's story, you can check her episode out in episode 13 of the Believe in Dog podcast. It was so great to hear from her, and she reminded me of the Fix My Pit Spay Neuter program. So because of who I am as a person, I had to go digging through my emails and find that spreadsheet that she was talking about. And the version that I found had that we had fixed 185 dogs between 2013 and 2015. So there was a lot of work going on with our spay-neuter program during that time. And over the past few years, there's been a new grant program in Maryland for spay-neuter. So we've been really fortunate that we can connect the dog owners who come through our clinics who are interested in Spanier, we can connect them with these organizations getting the grant funding. So that's been a really awesome partnership over the last few years. Next we're going to hear from Be More Dog board member Hilary Stroko. Hillary actually volunteered to help at the very first ever Community bull Day and she enjoyed the experience so much that she ended up joining the Be More Dog board shortly thereafter. Hillary shares about her experiences from coming from the shelter volunteer environment to doing this community-based work, and also some of the people that will always stick with her. Let's get started with Hillary Stroko. So I am here with Hillary from the Be More Dog board. Hi, Hillary. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. (laughs) So I was going back through the archives and I saw you actually volunteered at the very first Be More Dog (laughs) Clinic. So I know you have been around for at least 10 years now. (laughs) I know. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah. what made you want to start volunteering with the clinics?
5: Well, I guess at the time I was really also actively volunteering at Barks. And when I started looking at some of the reasons people were surrendering pets, it just made total sense to try to get to the root of the problem instead of just trying to place dogs in homes. So anything that could help keep dogs happier and healthier in the homes seemed like a no-brainer to me. But a lot of other nonprofits really weren't doing anything like that, you know, or there was a cost associated, though. It just made sense to me in that way.
1: Yeah, I think we were the first ones to really go into neighborhoods rather than expect people to come to us when things exactly. like transportation or challenge and things like that.
5: Sure. And also at the time it, I mean, I had pit bulls and we were very pit bull focused at the time and the events were actually called community pit bull days back then. Right. So I mean, that was definitely also something that drew me.
1: And that was something that Pauline and I talked about in her interview was how going through th- different things like the, legislative issues made us want to change our messaging to be more inclusive to all dogs and not single any kind of dogs out. Sure. And so when we're at the clinics, what is the volunteer role that you usually do during the day?
5: So now I'm really helping out usually with registration, but what I love to do, and it totally made sense, we outsourced it, but I loved working in spay-neuter when we were At that time, doing spay neuters through our organization, we were actually fundraising so that we could do it. And it makes a lot more sense with partners already doing it um, that we outsourced it. But at the time, I was based with um, our volunteer, Val, who did health and wellness. And it was a real opportunity then to talk to people about the health benefits of spay neuter, like especially like reducing cancer risk, which a lot of them didn't know about. So I do miss that. So I miss having that conversation. Like, you know, you're not always going to convert everyone every time, but I feel like I did make some inroads with some people that hopefully each time they hear about it, they'll be more and more convinced.
1: Oh, that is something that's been exciting to see over the years is how many dogs that come through the clinics who are already spayed and neutered. And I like it's to true. think some, some of them are through our programs and our Definitely. events. And, you know, like where it used to maybe be like 90% were not fixed. I would say it's probably 50-50 these days.
5: Oh, that's great.
1: I didn't realize it was that high. Yeah, we don't always get the information, but that's about what I see when I, of, of the people who respond or, you know, the, of the information sure. that we get, that's what I see. Sure. <laughs> that's great to hear. And so now you're working in... So somebody used this term, and I really liked it, uh, with the vaccine clinic being back of house and the check-in being front of house. <laughs> so you're really working in the front of house, uh, first uh, first contact and greeting uh, kind of position now.
5: Right. And I sometimes wind up more helping with um, getting our volunteers ready so they're all set, like their clipboards and everything are ready for them to go. But certainly our busier clinics like Elwood... Um, I do get to like meet with actual clients and that is nice to sort of get to know them and a little about their background and a lot of them will share that it's like their eighth time coming or you know like it's neat to see people return back Um, and over the years you start to recognize some of them and from the pictures or for interacting with them
1: coming from the animal welfare, you know, so many of us came from like doing shelter volunteer work or rescue volunteer work. Has there been anything that you have learned from doing the community clinic work or anything that has surprised you along the way? Well, I have to say,
5: like when I was volunteering in the shelters, there were like, it was very common amongst the volunteers and in some cases, even the staff to really blame people for you know, or to really trash people for dropping off their pets. And I think the main thing, and Pauline says it every time, like it might not be how you would care for your pet, but
1: they're
5: they are in line because they love their pet and want to get resources for their health. And, you know, trying to drop that level of judgment um, that I think so many people jump to. And then also in my own life, having a pet attack another pet, like I realized how hard it can be sometimes, like it really isn't in the best interest sometimes probably to remain where they are. So um sometimes it's really for the pet's well-being that people make those choices. So I think it just made me a lot more aware that, you know, there isn't one right way to raise a pet and that people are really trying more than a lot of people in the sheltering community. I think sometimes gave credit. I think there's more awareness of that now than there was when we started. And partially because they are getting involved in events like this now, I think. But, um, that layer of judgment, I think was the main thing I had to work on my first couple clinics. And like over time it really, um, You know, it was meaningful to me to see how many people were waiting in line, especially when we were doing clinics in the freezing late November months and people taking their coats off to keep their pet warm. Like, you know, just really understanding that most people really love their pets and want to do right by them.
1: And so you may have just touched on this a little bit, but do you have any favorite stories or uh, people that stand out to you that you've encountered over the years from from doing the clinics?
5: Well, it was fun when I was um, working on our Giving Tuesday campaign, I did a video like picking some of the best pictures I liked from different clinics over the years. And it was kind of fun. Like some of them I recognize because I've interacted with them. Um, But others, like I just remembered stories about them. And one was a man named Chester, the one who actually, I really remember it was so freezing and gave his coat to his dog. Another was a gentleman who came with a shopping cart of small dogs. And unfortunately, one really wasn't doing well and it was in its best interest to be put down. And, um, you know, that was hard, but we were able to help make that happen with a volunteer. and. I think that's the thing, like when people can't afford vet care, they don't necessarily know that their pets are suffering, you know, from something that's silent that way In that case. So the fact that we're able to give basic vet care to people who might not be able to afford it, it just is so in the best interest of the animals.
1: Yeah, that that one you're mentioning. So, I mean, that man lived like eight blocks from the park and he had three little dogs and he pushed them down the road in a shopping cart because he doesn't have a car and that was his best way to transport them and that's definitely the kind of thing that we you know that just always sticks with me as as well and and I remember that dog and the dog was in congestive heart failure yes. and you know it was an older dog you know and yeah one of our volunteers actually like Took time, you know, out of her day the following him week.
5: to rescue.
1: <laughs> yeah, to um to drive him to uh, have that last appointment and and be able to do it, you know, so that he was there and it was with such respect and um yeah, that's definitely one that has always stuck with me too.
0: Yeah, yeah.
5: And it was neat to see. I guess there were some people that I didn't necessarily recognize, but in doing the. Um, Looking through the various albums over that many years, like you keep seeing them repeat. And I think that's the other like amazing thing that like we have become like the main way a lot of people take care of their pets and they really count on us and, you know, for vaccines, but also for other skin and ear and other things that we're so blessed to have such a great vet. Well, we have our SPCA partner vets too now, but Dr. Michelle always like saves up medications and is able to help with so many things that those dogs would not have gotten care for.
1: Yeah. That, I think that's one way where, I mean, there's a lot of ways where we've tried to see the need in the community and respond and be able to do more. because right from the get go, we were seeing, oh, there are dogs that need more than just a vaccine and and how can we help and through, you know, recruiting different recruiting different people to be on our team. And, you know, we so looked into Dr. Myers. <laughs> and then, you know, to be able to partner with all the different organizations that have come on board now. It's been really rewarding for me to to see like how we have grown this from from the beginning and um and then you had touched on before you know just seeing that other organizations in Baltimore are now doing this type of work also it always feels very personally validating to me (laughs) that uh we were really ahead of the curve on on this and um It's exciting to see it grow and that this is becoming more, you know, mainstream. And because I I think this is kind of where the future of animal welfare needs to go. And I feel like we saw that very clearly before anybody else. And and it's exciting to see them catching up.
5: (laughs) Yeah, getting them on board. I think another thing that was another aha was like how much informal rescue goes on in the communities where people find a dog on the street or... Unfortunately, someone's passed away or gone to jail or whatever the situation uh, might be. Um, And when we would ask, you know, when we'd be registering people, we'd hear a lot of stories and realize how many animals weren't coming to the shelter
1: because
5: they were being rescued within their own communities.
1: Right, and without the benefit of you know nonprofits and fundraising or GoFundmes and and people who are you know, often on more limited means, but are doing what they feel is right with the resources that they have. Yeah. That, that, that one chokes me up when I think about it, you know? Yeah. And the different stories that we've heard over the years now. So with you being on the board, you know, you do a lot of work behind the scenes. You know, we have a lot of meetings. There's a lot of preparations. You're doing a lot of our emails and, and social media work and all that. And and so what keeps bringing you back to to volunteer year after year? You've been doing this for a long time now. <laughs> I think it's
5: going back to the mission that, you know, which has evolved over the years, but especially like when we're working to help people care for their pets when they might not have the means to otherwise, like that's very rewarding to me. I know what my pets mean in my life. And, you know, there's, it seems like a horrible thing that someone to have to choose between like paying to have food on the table or vet care. So like the more that we can do to enable people to be able to care for their pets, the better for them. And then for the animals not making it to a shelter. So I think that a lot of the times there are times where you're like oh my god i don't have time to do this e-newsletter or whatever (laughs) it is but like you remember what the purpose is and it you make the time because of that hillary
1: thank you so much for your time
5: yeah thank you it was nice to be able to like reflect on the time we've been together working on us
1: Thank you so much, Hillary. I really appreciated the way that she articulated the journey from doing the shelter work to doing the community-based work, because I think that's something that, that many of us have seen and experienced along the way. And I'll also be sharing on social media the video that Hillary was talking about that she put together showing pictures of the families from the past 10 years of clinics. It was really beautifully done, and I can't wait for you to see it. Next, we're going to hear from Dawn, and I love Dawn's story so much because Dawn actually attended the very first Community Pit Bull Day with her dog and her dad to come receive services, and she was so impressed by the event that she thought, hey, I want to do this. I want to help. And so the next year, she started volunteering with us, and a couple years after, she joined the board of Be More Dog. So let's get started and hear Dawn's story. So we are here with Dawn, who is a Be More Dog board member. Hi, Dawn. Hi.
6: Good evening to you, Erin. Thank you for having me. Thank
1: you for being here. So take me back, how long has it been now that you've been volunteering for Be More Dog? Um, and I hear the puppy yes. next
6: to you. <laughs> yes. he's very interested in the story also. Um, so it's been about 10 years. I think I went to a clinic when I first got my pit bull. And at the time, uh, Be More Dog was only vaccinating um, pit bulls at that time offering free vaccination. So I went to a clinic. Um, I got a free vaccine. I got a free leash. uh, I got some free toys. And I thought, this is amazing. The work that they're doing here is awesome. And so after that clinic, I contacted the organization to see how I could volunteer. And the rest is history.
1: Yes. I think I have a photo of you from the very first first one. Oh, I would love to see
6: that. I would love to see that. I mean, not to see me, but I would love to see.
1: I actually, I think your dad might be like
6: in the background. Yes. It was my dad and I, and we went to the clinic. I was like, I don't know what this is going to be. I don't know what's going to happen here, but you're coming with me. Yeah. (laughs) And it was, I mean, and it was so well organized. Um, It was, I was like the amount of services that they are offering to people is incredible. I want to be a part of it. So yeah, that clinic was so well run that I was, it was like, this is something that I would like to give my time to.
1: And when you um, are volunteering at the
6: clinics, what is the role that you're usually doing? So I do check-in, which is, or registration, which is greeting clients when they first arrive at the clinic to take down their information and their dog's information so that once they get to see a vet, the vet has all the information that they need about the dog, weight, uh, gender, um, vaccine status, all of that. And we write that information down just to make sure that it's all filled out completely, that it's legibly written so that um, when it gets to the vet, it makes the process go a little smoother.
1: Yes, we definitely commend you guys for
6: all the work that goes on. For around. our legible handwriting, yes. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes, because that becomes their, like, official rabies certificate. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a, you know, legal document, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I remember one of the lessons we learned the hard way uh, when we first started doing the clinics was we didn't realize that we were going to need, like, duplicates, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. one for our records and one for the client mm-hmm. records. And so the first clinic or two, I think we actually had to fill out like two forms for every dog. And then somebody's like, we need carbonless forms, And that was like revolutionary. Yes, And I'm so
6: excited because that idea was come up with before I started. So I'm, I'm excited by that because when I started, uh, you all were already using the, the carbon copy. So thank you to whomever came up with that. And I think check-in is always a good time because one of the First thing's that people ask is is everything free? And I love being able to say yes. Everything here is free. You can everything that you see here, you can come and go with no problems, you know, and and I love being able to say that. So I I love the work that we do. That's
1: awesome. And what have you learned from doing the clinics? Has there been anything that
6: surprises you? Oh. <sighs> I've learned that having a dog is expensive. <laughs> Uh, But no, um, I've learned that money has no impact on the amount of love that you can give a pet. And I've learned that even when you have all of the love and all of the affection for your pet, there's still some amount of knowledge that you need just to keep your pet healthy and safe. and. I love the work that we do in the clinic because we are providing support to people who love their animals. I've heard people say, you know, um, they eat whatever I eat. Um, if uh, Sometimes I won't eat everything to make sure that my dog has something to eat, so it's not a question of people loving their animals, but it's just a matter of here's here's a little bit more information, so you can maybe try something different with your animal. And I like that we're able to offer the support, offer some more information, and offer the helps to keep people's pets happy and healthy in their homes.
1: Do you have any favorite stories or, or people that you've encountered over the years, or uh, things that that stick with you?
6: When I first started volunteering, we used to get laundry bins of puppies. And I'm sad we don't get those in the same way that we did. So that always sticks with me, just being surrounded by puppies like that. Like, I I loved it. Like a shopping cart, a laundry bin, a bag, like there's a box. There's always just going to be, you know, a bunch of puppies coming. So I always enjoyed that i like to think that our spay neuter efforts have have helped. stopped the boxes of puppies. Okay. We're going to go with that. We're going to go with that. Um, be- <laughs> that is my rose colored glass. Yes. View. <laughs> no, we're going to go with that because over the years that we've been doing this, there was a time that we would say, would you like spay and neuter information and people would be immediately turned off. And now there are people that are saying yes. And our people that are saying, walk me over, let me get some information. So, Uh, We're going to go with that, Erin. I think that our efforts, our kind of gentle approach to this is just something we offer. Like, you don't have to get this. Everything else here you can still take advantage of. But I think the way that we offer the information, maybe it's it's working.
1: I feel like we had probably a very long drawn out discussion about this one time, but it was worthwhile because we wanted to get away from using the word like educate. Mm. And we just say, we're like sharing information. It's just, hey, here's some information if you want it.
6: Yeah, and I I agree with that. I am a new cat owner, and apparently this is something I just didn't know, that um, feeding a cat only dry food can contribute to your cat becoming overweight, which is what's happening with my cat. And that's just something I didn't know. And interestingly enough, I was talking to another volunteer at our last clinic at Elwood, and he was saying that his daughter's cat had the same problem. And they started giving the cat more wet food, and those weight problems weren't an issue anymore. And it's like, it's just information, right? We all are are here for the same thing. We all love our pets, but it's maybe the way you're doing it maybe isn't the best way. It's obviously a way. There might be something else, so... We, we have since switched to wet food. So, you know, it's, a, it's just about sharing the information you have because we're all trying to kind of figure it out.
1: And what keeps you coming back? I mean, you're on the board, so we have a lot of Zoom <laughs> well, calls. I have, I have to come back. No, um, <laughs> and emails, and you know, we we put a lot of time and effort behind the scenes as well as the day of the event, and uh, you know, we're all very dedicated. We're so grateful to have you. And and what what keeps you coming
6: back? It really is. I'm proud of the work that we do. I love being able to help people who need a little assistance. I mean, we're in, we're in neighborhoods where you can say, when was the last time your dog has seen the vet? And they'll say, when you were here last year and, you know, we're providing a valuable service because, and this is another good thing about how the organization has grown. When I first started, right, there was a vet who would vaccinate the dog and then move on to the next dog. But now, I mean, we've got vets working in tandem that are actually evaluating these dogs, looking to see what other issues they may have. And obviously we're still in remote locations, we're offsite, but if the vet has something that may help a dog, the vets are giving that uh, medicine away for free. We are providing a service, and it's expensive. I mean, if you don't have transportation, if you don't have the um, financial resources, going to the vet and making sure that your dog is healthy can be burdensome. and I love the fact that we're able to help people who have other financial constraints that make vet care not the top priority and that's 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 huge to me. I love that we do that because I love. What well, My dog passed um, last year, but I loved my dog. I loved having my dog in my home and being able to help people to keep their dogs healthy. It, it means a lot. So that's why I continue to come back, because I think it's important. Money shouldn't stop you from having that bond with your dog, but money can certainly stop you from having a healthy dog and from having a dog for as long as you possibly could. And I like that we're able to help in that way.
1: That was really beautiful and powerful, Dawn. Thank you so much. I hope you love Dawn's story as much as I do. I think it's the greatest compliment that we can get when somebody attends the clinic with their dog and then decides, hey, this is awesome. I want to help. And it does happen over the years and it's very special every time. Next, we're going to hear from Ashley Croston, who is our longtime photographer for the events. And while COVID has changed our operations a little bit for right now, we try to make it a priority that anyone attending the events can get a family photo with their dog or just of their dog if they don't wanna be in the photo too. But we want everyone to have the opportunity to have a picture taken with their dog and have that special memento. So Ashley's gonna share with us why she started volunteering her favorite part of being a photographer at the events and the special people who have stuck with her over the years. So let's get started with Ashley Croston. So we're speaking with Ashley, a volunteer with Be More Dog. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Erin. So tell me about how long you've been volunteering with Be More Dog and with the clinics and what made you want to start volunteering?
3: So I started back in 2013. So it's been about eight years and in 2011, I adopted a Pipple-type dog from Barks. And at the time, I was just adopting a dog. Didn't have any idea uh, what was going to come with that. Uh, it was just a dog. And as I tried taking her to training classes and other things, I started to learn about obstacles that owners of Pipple type dogs face and the discriminatory practices started to learn about BSL. And so I started to network and just try to find a way that I could make a difference. I was fortunate. I didn't live in housing where I couldn't have her or didn't, you know, ran into those types of obstacles. And The more I learned about it, the more I really wanted to try to make a difference. So I started with just networking with people that I knew through Barks, and I ended up at a Pipples on Parade in the spring of 2013 to take photos because I. I'm never without my camera, and that's the way that I can contribute. So I took photos and met some of the amazing volunteers that were there, um, a lot of whom are still part of the organization. Learned about the wellness clinics and signed up to start volunteering, and you know, learned about the community outreach, um, the humane education portion of it. So I started volunteering at the clinics, and the rest is history. After that, I've been around since then. <laughs>
1: I know. It's been a long time. You, I feel like you were a baby back then. You
3: were like 22 or something. <laughs> I wish I was that young eight years ago. Thank you.
1: <laughs> and so what is the role that you usually volunteer to do at the
3: clinics? So of course, COVID has changed it a little bit. But in past years, my role is to run what we call the photo booth. I bring my camera equipment. And before COVID, we were able to have some props. Uh, Some people come with their dogs already dressed. Sometimes I have things that they can put on their dogs. And we have a bench that we set up. Usually we try to put it in front of a Be More Dog banner or a sign. Something has kind of changed over the years. But people can take pictures with their pet or sometimes just of their pet. They don't want to be in them. um, So they'll stand off to the side. But it's one of the free services that we offer. And when we take the pictures, I collect their email address And then within a few weeks following the clinic, I will email them a couple of photos. Some dogs are more cooperative, some dogs, you know, not so much. So we're lucky if we get one good one, but I'll send those pictures along via email. By I think the second clinic of the second year that I was doing it, I started to realize pretty quickly that a lot of people don't have email addresses in the areas where we're doing these clinics. And I hated that they wanted the picture and I had no way to get it to them. So I started printing just one or two getting their mailing address and mailing it to them so that they had something. Photography has just been a really huge part of my life for as long as I can remember. And I have, as a lot of us do more photos than I can even count of my pets. And so I have been, told by people that attend the clinics that the photos that they get after these clinics are either the only photos they have or the only good ones that they have of their pets. I've had people thank me through tears after, you know, a few years has gone by and their pet has passed away and I've cried with them. Um, And just how grateful they are to have these photos. And it means more to me than I can explain that I'm able to take something that I enjoy doing so much and find a way to give back and to give them something with such meaning and sentimental value uh, when they attend our clinics. So that is my role.
1: And I think one of the things that always stands out to me that if, if there's a way that we can break it, like a negative stereotype, like – we see people with the same dogs year after year and we get to see their dogs as puppies yes. and grow up and get older and, and even unfortunately pass away and, and mm-hmm. you get to photograph that whole journey.
3: That's, that's something I didn't even think about until you pointed it out, but I get laughed at at pretty much every clinic by some, one of our volunteers, because I never remember the human's name, but it is absolutely a stereotype with that, with the areas that we go into and that we are seeing being broken by people having the same pets year after year. And there are some that we've seen when they were under a year old and now we're seeing them many years in a row and we'll go, I'll pull them up on my phone from years before. And we look at how small they were. And, but I almost always remember a dog's name after I've photographed them once. So I get laughed at every clinic because I'm like, oh, you're so-and-so's dad. And I have absolutely no idea what the human's name is. And But I recognize them from taking pictures before. So that is a really awesome part of what we get to do is seeing them year after year.
1: Do you have any favorite stories or, or favorite people that have made an impact on you or that you always remember?
3: I have two. I think there's so many stories that come out of every clinic, but there are two that I know you'll know exactly who I'm talking about, (laughs) but there are two that I will never forget. And one of them is scutch and scutch was gosh, the last year we saw scutch. I want to say scutch was 17 or maybe older. Um, but the last year, I think, that Skutch came to the clinic, uh, Skutch couldn't even walk there, and Milton carried him most of the way.
1: For blocks, like for like a couple blocks, carried <laughs> yes. a 50-pound, 60-pound pit bull.
3: Yep, and just the, the relationship that they had, and let alone just how old Skutch was, and just how absolutely adorable Skutch was but just seeing the relationship that they had and how much he just loved scutch was something that I will forever remember. And I'm so glad that I got to see firsthand. Um, The other one is Jason and Jason is, uh, I think he's 104 pounds now. Jason, I met at the first clinic, one of the first clinics that we did in his area. And I just instantly fell in love with this dog and he was, uh, probably, I don't know, 80 pounds at the time, the first year that I saw him and the, uh, he wasn't that little, but the little boy walked him up and they got their picture taken. And he came back several years year after year and he had gotten, you know, bigger. And by the time he was full grown, he was like a hundred little over a hundred pounds little boy was just so sweet. His parents came the one year, but he brought him every year. And Jason was so, he was such a gentle giant, so good with him. And I don't remember what year it was. It's been several years now, but the family fell on hard times and Jason was too big to take when they had to move. So he ended up at barks. And as I happened to be on Facebook and I immediately knew that that was Jason when I saw it on Facebook, um, him being up for adoption. So behind the scenes, I contacted the rescue that I was, um, fostering with at the time. I couldn't take him, but we found someone to take him. He ended up being, um, adopted by friends of ours. And he is, he has his own little boy again, which he just absolutely loves his little boy and following him around and getting constant treats all day. So he might be a few pounds overweight, but who isn't. (laughs) And, um, but he's doing great and he's so spoiled. And I will just, I will never forget meeting him the first time and seeing his relationship with, with that boy. And I, hope that somehow some way the the family knows that he ended up in a good place and that he is loved and he's still the big giant goofball that he was from the first time we met him so those are two two dogs that I will never forget
1: is there anything else that you have learned from the clinics or that has surprised you about
3: doing the clinics I don't know that it surprised me so much, but one thing that I'm constantly reminded of by doing the clinics is that not everybody can spoil or care for their pets the way that I might or you might, but that by no means does that mean that they don't love their pets. And we learn at every clinic something that someone is doing best that they can and they're made the sacrifices they make for their pets you know happiness and well-being and i think that's something that we are reminded of every clinic and it's it's definitely one of the biggest takeaways that i get from each clinic is seeing that and how much these people care for their pets we have clinics where people are there and in line in cold weather in rain in wind before we even get there to set up, just you know, because that's the one day of the year that they get to see the vet and it's worth it to them to stand in all sorts of weather to make sure that their pet gets seen. So I think that's something that we're constantly reminded of doing these clinics.
1: Ashley, thank you so much. Ashley, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I really enjoyed hearing about the relationship that she develops with the families from photographing their dogs year after year. And I also thought it was really special because we didn't realize for a long time that she was actually printing out and mailing the photos to families that didn't have an email address. And I just think that that's such an extra special touch for for somebody to go so above and beyond and again you know we're all volunteers you know she's doing this between her job she actually lives in Pennsylvania and comes down to Baltimore to do these clinics Ashley's a really special person and we're so fortunate to have her and finally our last interview for today is going to be with Jennifer Gans and you may remember Jennifer because she was actually on episode 27 of the Believe in Dog podcast and if you haven't heard her story I suggest you go listen to it when you're done here But Jennifer has a really unique perspective on the clinics because mostly because of COVID, she's had to adapt and change and try out different volunteer positions because we hadn't been doing the kids' corner. Um, With her school psychology background, we always think the kids' corner is such a good fit for her. But we were short-staffed with volunteers on positions, and we needed to ask her to be flexible, and and she was so accommodating and so wonderful. And I'm so excited for you to hear her take on why she volunteers – her experiences at different volunteer positions and the people who stand out to her the most at the clinics. So let's get started with Jennifer Gans. So I am here with Jennifer Gans. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for talking to me about your experiences with the Be More Dog clinics. So how long have you been volunteering with Be More Dog? I think it's
0: been five, maybe going on six years. Um, I started right after my first Greyhound Mako uh, died and I was trying to get more involved. Um, And I met Pauline actually through Project Mickey. So I wanted to support since she came out and supported us and, and Ruby do. And at that point I'm trying to remember Fozzie was, I don't think, I think it was just Ruby, but um, yeah. So it's been almost, I think five or six years now.
1: And you have participated in several different roles at the clinics. We can, you know, put you anywhere. (laughs) So what have those experiences been like for you? Well, I started doing
0: like the kids corner with the, you know, big stuffed dogs and children can come over uh, and we teach them safe greetings. So we practice with a stuffed dog. Uh, sometimes Ruby would come out and do a children's oath of kindness oath of kindness yes Um, we had coloring sheets with Ruby on them and Pauline uh, and then sometimes we'd have other things too like books the kids could read different books or sit down and do like a coloring book from the SPCA. So a variety of things, but really just helping to spend time with the children while their parents were waiting in in lines for services.
1: And then I know your role changed a little bit this year because of COVID. We weren't having as many of the other stations. And so you kind of got to work uh, in the back of the house uh, some <laughs> of this year too. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And I also did some stuff. I did some running, you know, back and forth and uh, helping with sign in. And then, yeah, this last one, I felt like I got an upgrade and I got to go behind the scenes and, uh, you know, work with the the key players and, you know, mainly just kind of stand back and watch and give instruction sheets to... Uh, the families as they came through, uh, just whatever directions the vet had given or medications, things like that. But it was pretty exciting to actually see the kind of fruit of what I've been working on, but not, I never really got to see that piece of it, what happens when they're with the vet. So that was really cool.
1: I'm excited that you got to to do that because I I find that position very fulfilling. So I always um, think like everybody should like rotate through or something and get to you know be a part of that at some point.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Um, I think it really helps to appreciate also what everyone else is doing. Because I think I said to you last time, it's so calm. Like when you're in this space, when you're up front, it's a little hustle bustle. You know, people are waiting, there's dogs barking, there's... Kids running around, uh, but the volunteers do an amazing job of keeping that area with the vet very sacred and very, you know, professional so that the families can have that time to ask questions. Sometimes things like uh, a little bit of hair trimming has to occur or, you know, something minor.
1: And what have you learned over the years from coming to the clinics? I'm always curious if there's something that is surprising to people it's been very humbling
0: for me. Uh, there's something that Pauline says at the beginning of each of the clinics. And she gives the statement about, you know, there may be dogs here that maybe have the wrong size harness, or they need a better leash, or maybe there's something that hasn't been, uh, handled the way you would handle it with your own dogs. But None of that matters because they're here because they love their animals. We're here to offer services. We're not here to judge. Um, And I'm saying this in my own words. She does it much better than me. But, you know, when it boils down, people wait in the rain. They wait in the cold. They stand there for hours because they want these services for their animals who are members of their family. And, you know, so we don't judge. we, We offer things, but we never... Uh, force people to do things um you know such as spay neuter that's always something that's offered it's always just been humbling to hear her give that statement each time it, it reminds me
1: of the purpose thank you for sharing that what keeps bringing you back to volunteer wow um
0: man i just love it i feel like uh you feel so accomplished at the end of the day like all these animals you start with an empty space everything gets unpacked and suddenly you have this working clinic you have it functioning on so many different levels in terms of you know different stations doing different things and then everybody goes through and then it all gets broken down and it's like whoa it's so much to accomplish in this short period of time it feels uh Like you're really a part of something that's making a difference in the community.
1: And then do you have any favorite stories or or people who've made an impact or who you always remember that you've encountered uh, doing the clinics? I would say the
0: children. There are children I've seen come back more than one year. I'll recognize faces. Um, I love when the kids sit in color with me or, or read. And even though I do a lot of that at work, it's still always really sweet to to have the kids excited to run up and greet the stuffed dog or or maybe their dog approaches the stuffed dog and we joke about, you know, do they know that's a stuffed dog? Do they think it's a real dog? But yeah, I would say uh, the children, uh, even last, the last uh, clinic we had, there were kids there and maybe the parent had stepped away or the parent was handling a different animal, but we had children acting so responsively as you know, the caretaker for this animal, holding the leash, you know, listening to the vet's instructions. Because you know, some of the families have so many animals that it's kind of like juggling a little bit. Um, and we definitely had children that I just was—it—it it, it blew my mind to see how responsible they were and how mature. Uh, in handling their pets and I just saw that as the future the future of Baltimore's pet owners and pets caretakers just really beautiful it's not just helping these services are not just helping the dogs right now they're helping to like establish an entire uh, a system you know and and um, values and and morals and children about the importance of their pet's health that's wonderful Thank you so much. I'm just really grateful to be a part of it. I feel honored that I can continue to go back and join so many amazing people who give of their time and, and their skill set and and work together. And, and it's just it's very humbling to me to be a part of this community, and I'm so grateful.
1: Thank you so much to Pauline, Di, Hillary, Dawn, Ashley, and Jennifer for sharing your experiences with us. This was actually a really meaningful experience for me too, to be able to, to listen to what everyone had to share. The clinics have been so close to my heart for these past 10 years, and even the time before that in the planning stages. If you're in the Baltimore area and would like more information about volunteering at the Be More Dog Wellness Clinics, I'll have a link in the show notes that'll take you to our volunteer form. And if you'd like to make a financial donation to support the work of Be More Dog, I'll have a link in the show notes, or you can go to bemoredog.org and click on donate. Be More Dog is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and all donations are tax deductible as allowed by law. We appreciate you considering us during this holiday season and this time of end of the year giving. And I've been digging some photos out of the Be More Dog archives and I'll be sharing on the Believe in Dog podcast Facebook and Instagram pages some photos from our first clinics and from back in the day. And make sure you join us next week on Monday, December 27th, where I'll have part two of this look at 10 years of the work of the Be More Dog Wellness Clinics, where we'll hear from our veterinarian, Dr. Michelle Myers, who's one of my heroes on this earth, as well as some of our other amazing board members and volunteers, such as Jennifer, Rachel, Christina, John, V, and Garrick. So until next time, this is Erin Scott, sending you hugs and belly rubs. dog podcast is a production of hugs and belly rubs llc